Good morning. It's such a privilege that we're able to come and worship God together and to bring him our praise and to bring him our thanks. So that's, it's such a privilege. So this week we're continuing our theme of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is a passage that I've read many times over many years, but I don't think I've ever heard a series of talks on the Beatitudes. And there's so much that we can get from these sayings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I remember leading a few weeks ago as Florian introduced this subject, um, this series, and at the end I said that I was excited by the prospect of this series. And guess what? I still am. It's so exciting what Jesus has to say to us today through these um, few sayings. We've learned about meekness. We've learned about being merciful. And then last week, last week we learned from Florin what it meant, means to be poor in spirit. And today I'm going to look at the fourth beatitude that says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled so let's start by breaking down the most important word in this saying righteousness many people have different ideas uh, different opinions about being righteous they assume they're righteous because they lead a good life. People might feel that they're right in an argument because they feel that their points are more valid. They might even force that thought by putting somebody down. I always remember watching a film with the kids and um, they're adults now and we still watch it sometimes. Um, in the film Matilda, where, Trunch, where the head teacher says, to Matilda, I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. And so it was that sort of feeling that she was right. But righteousness before God is so, so different to trying to win a point. But in the, in the Bible in Jesus' time, we see so much of the thought of, of, what, of what mattered when you look what you look like on the outside. Um, so we read passages that the religious leaders were involved in. In Luke's Gospel, Luke 18, verses 9 to 12, it says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So this Pharisee was very, felt that he was more righteous because of what he did and the way that he looked. 
And then if we read um, part of a passage in Philippians 3 quickly, we might feel that Paul was boasting about his own righteousness through his upbringing. But reading on, we see what his true belief was. Where Paul says this, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But then he goes on to say, but whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, the sake of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So from the outside, Paul was and looked very righteous, but he realized that it was nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus. So what does it mean to be righteous in God's eyes? To be righteous in God's eyes is to be made right in the eyes of God. And that righteousness can only be found in and through Jesus' death on the cross for us, which is something we're going to celebrate and remember later in the service. But you might say, what about the... the um, Pillars of faith that lived before the time of Jesus. Does that mean they were not right before God? Not at all. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says this, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. And then he talks about giving Abraham a a son, an heir. And um, Abraham finishes that short passage in Genesis 15 with Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then we read about Samuel going to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king. David was described as a man after God's own heart. And so we can see that um, there there were um, pillars of faith in the Old Testament that were clearly in a a righteous relationship and were righteous before God. Um, But one of the things that, um, as I was preparing this talk, which has been quite challenging this week for those that know what's been happening with family, Um, But what came out in relation to this was that righteousness is a life of obedience and a life of trust. So let's concentrate on those aspects for a few minutes. Let's think about obedience. Again, going back to Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and will bless you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Abram was obedient to God, even though he didn't know where he was going, and he did what God was calling him to do. Um, Moses was called 
by God at the burning bush to go back to Egypt. And Moses says, or God says to Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out to a land of good and spacious land. And then he, he says to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now Moses, if you read on, does argue a bit with God and says, um, how can I speak? I'm, I'm not educated, but if we look back at his early life, he was very educated um, and, got, and he even says, can I take my brother with me? And, and God is so gracious, um, but Moses is obedient to God. What about Gideon? Um, Gideon was the least, um, it says of, says of Gideon that he was the, the least in his family, the least of the tribes, um, but God called him and said to him, Go in, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. So that was when the Midians, Midianites were captured, had captured Israel. And, and God says to Gideon, um, am I not sending you? And uh, God says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites and leave none alive. So Gideon was obedient to God. Gideon didn't believe in himself. He didn't think he was worthy of God's favor, but he was obedient to God and God used him. And he was counted in the heroes of faith in Hebrews. So let's um, move on from that uh, right, um, the thought of righteousness as being a life of obedience. What about a life of trust? And there's so many stories of um, people that have trusted God in, the, in times of immense difficulty. We've got Daniel, who was, had been taken into exile, and um, it was told that he was not allowed to pray to anyone other than... Um, uh, other than whoever the king decreed. But Daniel carried on. He opened his windows. He didn't do it in secret. He opened his windows. He faced Jerusalem and he continued to pray to his God, the uh, only God. And that caused Darius, the king, to um, give him that judgment of being put into the den of lions. But Daniel, Daniel says that he will trust God. He will trust God, whatever. Um, and after, at the end of that story, the king goes and sees Daniel. And, he, and Daniel says, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I done anything wrong 
before you. And so Daniel trusted um, in God. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, do you remember those? Um, Thrown into a fiery furnace for not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's image that he'd created. It was um, some of um, the leaders that had tried, were trying to catch Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego out and to get them into trouble. And yet, um, they, the words that they said to the king when they were asked about not bowing down to the image, they said this, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. And so they were thrown in to the fiery furnace and when the king looks in, um, there is not just three, three people in there, there is a fourth, um, and that's God with them. And so they trusted, trusted God in this life of a right relationship with God. And then just to finish this section, um, it talks in Hebrews 11, and I just want to read this one. Um, And it says, what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. And it goes on there to say that they were all approved through their faith in God. So we've looked at righteousness, but what about that hunger and thirsting for righteousness that this beatitude talks about? Jesus here was not talking about a physical need of hunger, Maybe when we came this morning, you felt hungry when you came to breakfast church. Hopefully not now. But we know what it is to feel hungry and thirsty physically. Not so much in any way like many people around the world. But what does it mean to have that spiritual hunger and thirst? Are we hungry and thirsty for righteousness? The first thing to say is that hunger is a sign of life. What happens when you have a young baby? They cry when they're hungry. Also when they're wet and dirty as well. Um, And they certainly let you know when they're hungry. Remember years ago, uh, our son John, I think he was about six weeks old, and he had to have surgery for double hernias. And so he'd had the surgery, and when the sister from the children's ward brought him back to the ward, you could hear him screaming. And her first words to me was, please feed him. Please feed him. 
if we don't feed ourselves physically, eventually we will die. And the same is if we don't hunger and thirst after God, our faith will diminish and will become less vibrant. As Christians, we should be continually wanting to grow and develop in our relationship with Jesus. We should be hungering and thirsting more for him, wanting to become more like him, wanting him to change us into the people he wants us to be, wanting to spend time with him. Psalm 42 says this, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, my soul thirsts for you, the living God. Sorry, Jackie, I've nicked one of your songs. <laughs> um, and the question is, is your soul um, and is my soul panting, thirsting for more of God this morning? Do we want to spend time with God's people or is it something that we do reluctantly? Psalm 27 verse 4 says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Do you have a hunger and a thirst to spend time with God and with God's people? Do we come expectantly when we come to church or is it just something we do because we've done it all the time? Jesus met the woman at the well and he offered her living water. Um, and she, was, um, she had come to um, gain natural water because um, she was thirsty, but Jesus offered her living water. And she says, um, she says this, um, give me that living water that I may never thirst. And so that's a question to each one of us. Um, do we want that living water? Are we hungry? Are we thirsty? Or has our appetite for God dwindled? Maybe we're even con conscious that our growth or our passion has slowed down. Is, the reason, is that a reason why we've got a jaded appetite for God? So what are the things that can hinder our hunger and thirst after God? Things like temptation, something very attractive in our old nature or an alternative to Christ that's more conducive to our desire. Temptation can lead us to being hindered in our hunger and thirst after God. What about the cares of the world can overwhelm, distract, or become an excuse for spiritual coldness at times? Work and family pressure. Do things take over and come between us and God? There's nothing wrong at all with being committed to our families. God wants us to be committed to our families. And there's nothing wrong with being committed to our jobs. God wants us to work hard and it's right that we should do the best in the roles that God's given us. But are those things coming between us and God? 
What does God expect of us? Do we have little time for devotion? Are our circumstances becoming a reason to neglect God? What about ambition? Ambition's good, but when ambition becomes the driving force for our lives, something is wrong, and a hunger and thirst for material success can cause our spiritual lives to become lifeless. But then, in the, uh, the last word of this beatitude, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. God doesn't offer us something, doesn't sort of tempt us or, or tease us with something and then do nothing, but he gives us what he's promised. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says this, Come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The thirst for righteousness is quenched by God's gift of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were told to wait for the Holy Spirit to anoint them before they went and completed the work of Jesus. Ananias laid laid hands on Paul to receive the Holy Spirit after his conversion. And we need to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit because, as I'm sure you know, we all leak. And so we need to be continually filled. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but we need to keep coming and keep experiencing God's Holy Spirit to continue that appetite for more and more and continue that development to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. So the question I want to leave with you this morning and with myself as well, are you... Am I hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Or do we feel like we've lost something of that hunger and thirst for God? For some some people, they can pinpoint an exact occasion when they experience their first relationship with Jesus. If you can, what did your relationship with God feel like then? And does it feel the same now? Have things, situations drained that desire to know more about God? God's here and he's available and willing to bring about a new touch of the Holy Spirit in your life today. David in Psalm 51 says, after he was challenged and admitted his waywardness, he says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Is that something that you want today? Do you want God to restore the joy of your salvation? Do you want to feel that touch of the Holy Spirit? God wants to work in our lives and if we're willing. So I just want to, just before Jackie comes back just to spend just a few minutes, a few seconds in silence before God as we move into communion. There is going to be 
an opportunity for prayer later on and Jackie will explain how that's going to work. God is here. Let's open ourselves to him and allow him to do a new work in our lives. Father, thank you for those words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Father, we just want to be open to you this morning to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen.